Well, good morning, North Village Church. It's really good to see you this morning. Uh, I want to remind everybody that we have Youth Village this morning. So if our youth and our workers want to go ahead and make their exit to Youth Village, uh, I know that they will have a great time there. Um, and for all of us, if you are here on campus, watching on Facebook, online during the week, we just want to welcome you and, and say that we are glad that you are here with us. My name is Kevin, and Michael wanted a week off, so he asked me to speak this morning. So enjoy your week off, Michael. Um, not really. He's here, um, so he's not really off, but I am nevertheless glad to be bringing the word this morning. So glad that you are all with us. Um, when, when I was in seminary, uh, I, I had to take a two-semester advanced Greek course. And for, for me, this fell in the second semester of seminary. It was actually right after the summer uh, that I, I spent uh, the entire summer out at a church in New Mexico as a ministry intern where I got to do like everything at the church. And it was an incredible experience. And so I had this summer-long incredible experience, and then I, I went back to school and uh, signed up for my courses, and then I, I went to the bookstore to get all of the dozens of books that I needed for my courses. And while I was at the bookstore picking up books, uh, I met this guy named Keith. Not this Keith, different Keith, but we can even pretend that it's this Keith. Um, so I met this guy named Keith. He worked at the bookstore. And he asked me, he said, what courses are you taking? So I, I ran down the list of courses that I was taking. And whenever I said that I was taking Greek, he says, who do you have for Greek? Now, now you know, keep in mind, this is still my second semester. I'm still new to the school. I don't know who to take, who not to take. You know, I'm thinking they're all professors. They're all believers. They all have to be good, right? So let's just take somebody. Well, Keith asked me who I'm taking for Greek, and I said, oh, I'm taking Dr. Bateman. And Keith, Keith was a nice guy, but his, his jaw dropped, and his eyes got big, and I'm pretty sure he even, like, stumbled backwards. <laughs> and, and, and Keith was like, in his southern drawl, he goes, brother, you got to drop that course right now. Like, leave the store, go to the office and drop the course or, or take anybody else that you can because your life is about to be over. And I'm like, dude, it's a class. Like, what do you mean my life is about to be over? He's like, you will spend 80 hours a week doing all of the work for this class. Uh, and, 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 and then Keith spent like the next 20 minutes detailing all of the various ways that my life was about to end if I went into this course. So it scared me a little bit. So I, I, I actually went home and I, I looked at my schedule and I tried to see is there any way that I can move this course around or take anybody else and there wasn't. And I was like, I'm, I'm kind of stuck taking this guy. I, I, I need to take him or I need to take this course. I need to take it now. So I guess it's this guy. So, so I was stuck. So I show up to class on the first day, and I take my seat, and our professor, Dr. Bateman, walks in. And, and, and Bateman, as we called him, Bateman, he's wearing a Grinch tie. You know, the Grinch. Green guy, signature smirk. 
And, and, and so Bateman walks in wearing this tie, and he walks into the classroom, and he sets his briefcase down on the table, and then he turns and he looks at us, and he's got the same smirk as the Grinch. And so they're standing there, the Grinch and Bateman smirking at us, and he just goes, it's as bad as you've heard, maybe even worse. <laughs> well, that set the tone for the semester. It was, it was a challenge. It was, in many ways, worse than we'd heard. In many ways, not quite so bad. But at, right after he said that, he gave us a quiz on the syllabus. <laughs> well, no matter how you feel about life, um, whether that's just what's going on in the world right now or how you feel about life in general, uh, I don't think we have to stretch very far to say we have a problem. And it's much, much worse than we think. The problem's not COVID. The problem's not our neighbor. The problem's not you know, something going on with the microphone, which seems to happen every single time I preach. Um, none of those are the real big problem. The real big problem is that there is sin in our life. And it's much, much worse than we think. The sin is much, much worse than we think. The fact that we have this problem is much, much worse than we think. But the good news is that the God of Scripture demonstrates that he will do the redemptive work in us and for us if we give ourselves to him. And we see that play out this morning in Psalm 51, and we see it play out in this way. There's the problem, there's the provision, and there's the plan. Let's look at the problem. Last week, Michael walked us through the backstory, 2 Samuel 11, the story of David and Bathsheba. And there's a lot of overlap between last week and this week, and we didn't plan that. Michael and I talked about the sermon series, and then we just went off and started uh, writing our own sermon. And then when, when I sent him his outline, he sent me his manuscript for last week. And we were like, hey, look at, look at all the overlap here. But like, this is good. Like, I get to correct his mistakes from last week. And, and, and not only that, uh, I, I get to cover some of this stuff again. Um, and I think that that's really notable because we didn't plan that. Michael and I, we didn't say, hey, let's make sure to hit these same points. Let's make sure to, to talk about the same topic. It just happened. And I think that there's something really powerful about that. There's a thing that my wife and I talk about, about the principle of twos. Like any time that you hear something in scripture twice within a short amount of time, or, or any time you hear the same message from the Lord uh, twice, like maybe he's trying to tell us something. So maybe the Lord is trying to tell us something about our sin from this passage. And I know that's not a very popular idea, especially these days. Like that, sin is not a popular idea to, 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 to think about, to consider. Like it's, it's weighty. It doesn't make me feel good, but it's important to, to work through. One author that I was reading this past week said, what we do with sin determines what we do with grace. In other words, if you treat sin lightly, 
you will treat grace lightly. So I want to go hard after sin this morning because I want to go hard after grace. And so if you weren't here last week, the backstory to this is David was king of Israel. He was a man described after God's own heart, um, trying to be faithful, trying to chase after God, trying to lead Israel faithfully. And, and, and one night he's out on his, uh, in his palace and he's overlooking the city and he sees a beautiful woman bathing and he says, I want her. And so he sends for her, brings her to his palace and they have relations and she ends up pregnant. And then she tells him, I'm pregnant. And so that, that's bad enough because they were both married to other people at this time. So you have adultery, you have a, a, a pregnancy. That in itself is, is enough sin. But then David decides, I'm going to try to fix my own problem. I'm going to try to clean up my mess. So he hatches this plot to bring her husband, who is away fighting a battle, David brings him back from the battlefield and says, you've served so faithfully and so well, have a couple nights off, go sleep with your wife. <laughs> and this man is so noble that he, he won't even sleep with his wife while his men are out on the battlefield. So David's plan to clean up his own mess is already hitting an obstacle. And since this man won't sleep with his wife, then David won't be able to convince him that it's his child so then David says, okay, fine. If you're so noble that you won't do that, I'll just have to have you killed. So he hatches a plot then to have this man, Uriah, killed. And, and he goes back to the battlefield and he is killed by the plan of David. And then David has to console his wife, marries her, Now, as if all that wasn't bad enough, then David tries to kind of pretend like nothing really happened, like nothing went wrong. He's, he's trying to lead Israel. And, and this religious leader, Nathan, comes along, and Nathan's a good friend of David's too. Nathan starts telling David a story. And Nathan, Nathan tells David about a, a story about a man who stole from someone else. And, and, and as he fleshes out the story, David's getting angry at this man who stole from someone else. David's like, this is wrong. This is wrong. And Nathan keeps telling him, this is wrong. And David says, he has to die. And Nathan says, and, and I imagine this going down kind of like the courtroom scene in A Few Good Men. Like, I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. I think it's that. Like, David's like, he has to die. And then Nathan says, you are that man. And then David realizes that his sin has been uncovered. He's broken. He, he cries out for forgiveness. And that, that cry, that prayer is recorded here in Psalm 51. And it's, it's a psalm that is incredibly applicable to everyday life, not just our big mess-ups, um, not just when we sin, but the words of the psalm are applicable to every day because there is a posture here that we need in our everyday prayer. And as I look at the problem, that the problem is much bigger than what we think, I think the part of the problem is that we don't even see sin the way that David sees it. 
Because if you look at the first few verses that, David wa- that, that Michael walked us through last week, we see some words and some ideas that, that I, I don't think we even normally apply to sin. And I'm about to sin right now because of this microphone. So this is really applicable to me, especially. But, but, but we see some words and some ideas about sin that we don't even normally apply. So looking at these first two verses, we have, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Transgressions, iniquity, and sin. If you've grown up like I have uh, in church, you've, you've probably heard sin defined like this, that, that, that sin is simply missing the mark. It, it's like an archery target. And, and there's the place on the target that you have to hit. And as you, as you pull the bow and let the arrow go, the arrow either hits the target where it's supposed to, or it, it misses the target and goes wide. And, and sin is kind of like that. Sin is seeing the target, which is God's standard for our life, and it's there, but sometimes we just miss it. And, and then if you're in a really deep church, they might define sin a little bit further and say that there are sins of commission, which are sins that you do, and then sins of omission, which are things that you should do, but you don't do. And all of that's good, and that's true, and those are good, helpful distinctions and definitions of sin, but they're not complete. They're not complete because these ideas, sin, transgression, iniquity, those paint a fuller, more complete picture of what the state of sin is. And sin, uh, the word sin at the bottom, verse 2, is kind of that idea of missing the mark, of seeing God's standard, and then having an offense against God or other humans. It's a violation of God's standard. It's a good definition. But it doesn't cover transgression, and it doesn't cover iniquity. You see, because transgression, and Michael said this last week, transgression is rebellion. It's, it, it, it is um, the picture of a crime, a rebellion, a, a revolt. It, it's the idea that says, I know that this is what God says, and I will not do it. God says, don't be angry with my neighbor. I will do that. God says, do not lie. This is a situation where I think I need to lie. I'm going to lie. And this is not just simply missing the mark. This isn't just a, a firing of the arrow and an accidentally missing the mark. This is an intentional facing the other direction and firing your arrow the other way so that you're not even close to on target. It says, I will make my own target. And then there's the word iniquity. Iniquity, in the original language, carries the meaning of the state of guilt caused by sin and the consequences of sin. And so we've got that here. And the thing about this word is that the consequences of sin are far 
reaching. One author that I've read has said that iniquity is like brokenness. Uh, It's like the state of brokenness that is in every trauma survivor. Uh, Another author says that it is the vandalism of shalom. Shalom is the idea that God created us to live in a state of shalom. Shalom is a sense of wholeness, a sense of delight, a sense of peace that God designed us to live under. And sin is a vandalism of shalom. It is a corruption a pollution, the same author says it's a parasite, a disintegration between what God intended and where we actually are. And, and, and then he sums it up and says simply, it's not the way it's supposed to be. And that's just part of the problem. Transgression, sin, iniquity, the state of being broken, the state of being corrupted, that's just part of the problem. The other part of the problem is that we think we can clean ourselves up. We think, like David, we can clean up after our own mess. And like David, when we try to clean up, we often make a bigger mess. Have you ever done that? Well, I I have, and it was absolutely disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. And and I have to tell you, you might not want to hear this, but I have to tell you how disgusting it was. Shortly after Jessica and I were married, we, we... we got a set of jars, really nice jars, to keep, you know, like flour and rice and all that stuff. You, you, you may have something like this. It's just a nice glass jar with a stainless steel lid on it. And uh, We were living in Oregon, and we had some rice, and we had a bunch of dry rice in this really tall jar. And, um, <clears throat> it was a nice jar. So one night, we're trying to make dinner, and, and Jessica pulls out the jar, and uh, uh, the jar of rice, and she brings it, and she's like, look at this. <clears throat> and, and, and I look at the jar, and there's stuff in the jar, and that stuff is moving. And there's a, there's a film at the top of the jar. And I'm like, oh, that's bad. That's bad. We, we probably don't want to eat this rice. Um, but, but it's a nice jar. And, and so I'm thinking, I, I want to I save this jar for my wife. And... I'm like, I don't know, seeing that just like shorted out my brain or something. Like, I was just like, I don't know what to, I don't even know what to do with this, but I want to save the jar. So I take the jar of dry rice and I go over to the sink and I pop the lid off of it. I throw on the garbage disposal, turn on the water, dump the jar in, dry rice. What happens when dry rice mixes with water? The rice expands. Inside the pipe, causing an instant clog. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is awful. I've got, I've got a clog, I've got maggots and rice floating in my sink. I've got things trying to crawl and looking like they want to eat me. 
this is bad. So I grab the plunger and I try to plunge it down, thinking maybe I can force the clog through the drain. And instead, I just compact that clog even more. So that now water's not even filtering through the, the rice clog, it's actually backing up into the sink. So then I'm like, there's only one other, like, I, I, gotta, I gotta go up from under. So I, I get a bucket and I open up, I open up the cabinet, I pull everything out, and the kitchen's a mess now. I got stuff all over the kitchen, and I've got the sink, that's a mess, and I start unscrewing the P-trap, and like, you just, because the bucket's tall, and I have to have room to work, like I couldn't have the bucket under there, and, and, and let me tell you, when you pull that P-trap, you can't get the bucket under there fast enough, and it was just maggot rice water all over the floor, all over me. And I'm sitting there like in so much sin because the words that were out of my mouth and my heart, but I could not clean up after myself. Like I made the problem and I kept trying to fix it and I kept making the problem worse. And so the problem's a lot bigger than what we think. We have sin, we have transgression, we have iniquity, and we can't clean up after ourselves because when we do, we make the problem worse. But thankfully, God has made provision for us. Let's look at verse 10. And that's the scripture for this morning, verse 10, where David says, create in me a clean heart, God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And so the first word there in the provision is the word create. The word create is first off, it's a cry for God to do something in us that we can't. We can't create that in us. We can't create a new heart in us. And David cries that out because he knows he's messed up. He knows he can't clean up after himself anymore. He knows he's made a bigger mess. And now he's coming to God and he's saying, God, I need you to do this because only you can. And that word create in the original language is the Hebrew word barah. And what's really interesting about the Hebrew word barah is that this is not a human type of creation. This isn't me, this isn't one of us building something for ourselves. Uh, this is not a human type of creation. It is only used of God. So God creates. It's the same word that's used in Genesis 1.1. God created the heaven and the earth. And so in the Bible, there is no human creating anything. There is no uh, Moses barah something, David barah something. There's not even David barah a big mess. It is simply God barah the heavens and the earth. God barah man in his own image. God barah the stars and the heavens. God barah the wind and the mountains. These are things that only God can do. And David knows that. 
And so, just in that first stanza, he is saying, God, now that I've made such a big mess, now that I've sinned and I've made it even worse by my own actions and my own will, will you, with your unique, divine, creative power, do something that only you can do in giving me a clean heart? And then there's that word for clean. It's the word for pure. It's ceremonially clean, ethically clean. In the Old Testament, you had to be ceremonially clean in order to worship God. And there were all kinds of things that would make you unceremonially clean. If if a loved one died and you touched their dead body and preparing it for, uh, for burial, you were ceremonially unclean for a certain amount of time. If you were a husband and wife and you um, enjoyed sexual relations, you were ceremonially unclean for a certain amount of time, uh, which meant you couldn't come to the temple, you couldn't worship God. Uh, until you were ceremonially clean. And it's the same word that David is using, creating me a clean heart. He's asking for God to remove anything that might keep him from being able to worship God. He's asking God to remove any obstacle in their relationship. And then finally, there is the word renew, which is also the Hebrew word restore. And when we talk about restore, I often think of like a house or a car. Like, I want to restore a house. I want to buy this old house, fix it up. You've watched the shows on HGTV. Um, or maybe you're a car person and you bought an old car and you fixed it up. That, that's the idea of restore. But the thing about restoration is that when we do it, we are working with pre-existing materials. We buy wood, we get metal, we, we slap you know, some, some material on something and we massage it with our hands and work with it with our tools and we shape it and fashion it to look like we want it to. We're working with something that already exists. And it's, it, it, it's, it's not like that with God. God is working with our heart. God is working with our soul. He's, he's working with something that is immaterial. I've, I've been reading a, a little bit lately about Kintsugi. Y'all know Kintsugi? You do now. Kintsugi is the Japanese art. It's an art of repairing something that's broken by mending the broken areas with a lacquer that's been mixed with gold or silver or platinum powder. And it, it repairs the broken item in a way that actually it, it strengthens it and it makes it even more beautiful than it was before. I mean, look at that bowl. It, if it wasn't for the gold, it would just be a brown bowl. And, and maybe you think that's pretty, but I think it's prettier with the gold. And, and, and so, and so it, Kintsugi is taking something that is broken and mending it in a way that brings beauty out of 
the brokenness. And it's kind of like that with, with God. We can't do that work with our spirit. We can't do that work with our soul. There's no material for us to work with. We can't restore ourselves. Only God, only God can restore and reshape our heart, our soul. There's no kintsugi we can do. And so in that one verse, 51.10, David is asking God in three different ways to do what only he can do. Create in me a pure heart. Create in me a clean heart. Restore my soul. And he's... In some ways, he's calling forth some Old Testament prophecies there, like Ezekiel 36, 26, which says, I will give you, I don't know if I have that on a slide or not. No, I don't. 36, 26, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And David's calling that forth in this prayer. And he's also echoing the gospel. He's pointing us right to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, meaning Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now we, we can't in, in him anything apart from his work in our life. We can't remove our heart of stone and exchange it for a heart of flesh. We can't, we can't do that work. Only God can. And the thing is, whether we've been, whether we have been just inadvertently missing the mark of his standard, or whether we have been openly defiant and rebellious, or whether we have just been wrestling with the brokenness and the state of corruption because of someone else's sin against us, we need God's work in our life. We need God's work to cover our failings. We need God's work to cover our rebellion. We need God's work to cover our brokenness. And that's God's provision for us, and it's called grace. But, but, but listen, like, don't, we, don't we chase that provision in other ways? Like, like don't, don't we look for that provision in places other than God? Like, like, like we think, oh, if I, if I get in the gym and I lose 15, town, 15 pounds, I will, I will look buff. And then I'll be attractive and people will want to hang out with me and they will like me more and I'll feel better about myself and I won't feel the guilt and the shame that I feel over, over whatever. Or, or someone has a sin in their life, they have an affair, and then they try to make it up for it by, by like investing in their family so much that that becomes their idol because they want to repair, they want to restore, they want, they want to rebuild all those connections, and so everything they do about their life is their family, but it becomes an idol, and it's, it's a suffocating idol for them, because it doesn't 
repair and restore what needs to be restored, which is their soul. It might help with the connections, the relationships. It might be a very, very good thing that they're doing, but it's, it doesn't repair their soul. And so we, we can't clean up after ourselves. But God has a provision for us. And thankfully, he puts that forth to us. He puts forth his provision. It's called grace. And he saves us from ourselves. But he also saves us to something. Let's take a look at that. The plan. Verse 14, save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, God of my salvation, and my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. These verses show David's response to being made clean, to, to, to receiving the cleansing, purifying work that only God can do. And it's simple. You see it there twice. My tongue will sing joyfully of your righteousness, and my mouth will declare your praise. It's, it's worship. It, 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 it's, it's simply worship. That's, we're saved from ourselves. We're saved from our sin, and we are saved to a life of worship. And how that plays out is the Christian life. How we live the Christian life is how we worship God. Now, a, a, a lot of you may know that a, a couple years ago, right before Christmas, uh, our, our son, he slipped on the floor at home and he hit his head on our tile floor. And, and Jessica called me at work and said, I need to take Evan in because he slipped in his head and I think he might have a concussion. And so I dropped everything I had going on at work and I, I ran to meet her at the pediatrician. And as soon as I opened up the door, I could tell like, yeah, he's, he's got a concussion because I've had one too. And uh, I could just tell the look on his face and I knew he wasn't in good shape. And so we, we got him in uh, to the pediatrician and she started checking him over. And the situation quickly changed from, um, from you need to take him home and let him rest to... No, I think you need to take him to St. David's North, um, drive him over there immediately to, uh, we need to call an ambulance and we need to have him transported to Dell Children's Medical like immediately. And so uh, I went with Evan to the hospital while Jessica ran home to take care of some things and drop her daughter off at some childcare so she could meet up with us. And, 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 and while we're there at Dell, um, there's like a dozen different people in the room and, and, and there's multiple doctors and they are they're doing scans and they're doing neurological checks and uh, structural checks and they're checking his head they're checking his neck they're checking his entire spine they're just they're going down the gamut and, and, and he's fine by the way I'm still recovering from it as you can tell but he's fine as, as the whole thing played out there was really only one person that I wanted to hear from and, and, and Michael was there praying with me and for me, and that was fantastic. He wasn't the one I wanted to hear from, <laughs> but I appreciated it. I appreciated it so much. But in the end, there was one person that I wanted to hear from, and only one. There was only one person I cared to hear from. 
And it was the pediatric neurosurgeon who looked at my son's scans and said, he's gonna be okay. He's got a concussion, he needs to sleep it off, stay overnight, he'll be fine. And the thing is, there's like two dozen pediatric neurosurgeons in Austin. Any one of them could have been the one to look at that scan. Any one of them could have been the one to, to come in and say, my boy's gonna be fine. But I didn't wanna hear from anyone. I, I, I didn't wanna hear from just any one of the two dozen. I wanted to hear from the one. The one that was on site, the one that was on call, the one that was working. Because I couldn't do anything about it. And, and, and Michael was there tending from my heart, tending to my soul. He couldn't do anything about it. My wife couldn't do anything about it. The only person in the hospital who could do anything for us at that moment was that pediatric neurosurgeon. They were the only one. And listen, that's, that's the picture of what we have in Psalm 51. God's the only one who can do it. And the result of that is praise. Is it praiseworthy? Is God praiseworthy if we can save ourselves? No. Is God praiseworthy if we can clean up our own mess? No. Because we would be praiseworthy then. If I could clean up Michael's mess, I don't want to, but if I could clean up Michael's mess, Michael would be able to praise me. And if he could clean up my mess, I surely would run in him and be like, thank you, you've saved me. But that's not where we live. That's not what God created. God, we live in this thing that we can't clean up after ourselves. We can't clean up after each other. Only God can. And because of that, we have been renewed to worship him and him alone. So how, how, does, how does that play out? How does that play out in our daily life? Well, in, in the Jenkins household, uh, we've, we've, we've been moving toward worship like every week. Um, God, God has blessed us with an incredible opportunity in Austin right now to, to build a house. And if you've been in the housing market, like that's, that can be a really tough place to be. It can be really tough to try to get a house. It can be really tough to try to have a house built. And like, it wasn't even something that we were necessarily searching for very hard, but, but like God, it was like God said, hey, I need you to move here and, and, and I need you to take some steps. And so we did. And then all the pieces fell into place. And so we're having this house built and, and we're driving out there every week uh, to take a look, check out the progress. And, 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 and the kids are excited and they're like, is it ready yet? And we're like, no three more months, and uh, they're like, that's going to be my room, yay, you know, it's, it's awesome, and, and we're thanking God for that every week, and, and all throughout the week, it's just, thank you, Lord, you are so good and gracious to us, but listen, that, that's easy worship, that's easy, because something good is happening. Like he's done something, it's obvious, it's good, that's easy worship. It was way harder 
in the hospital, in that moment, in those few moments, before I heard from that pediatric neurosurgeon, it was way harder in that moment for me to go to God and say, look, I trust you. I know you're good. And whichever way this goes, if he's okay or if he's not okay, that doesn't change that you are good. That doesn't change that you are gracious. And these three years with him have been such a blessing, and I pray for so many more. And either way this goes, like, I just want to thank you for that. That was hard worship. That was really hard worship. Because to be authentic in that moment, I had to say, God, whichever way this goes, like, I'm trusting you. And you are more important than him. But it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like it in that moment. I don't want to say that as a father. I do not want to say that. That is hard worship. But it is worship. So there's a a story about a medieval Japanese philosopher. He was traveling through Japan, and he came to this host home. And the host realized this philosopher, he likes really deep things, beautiful things. So he gets this really, really pretty vase. Uh, Actually, it's a tea jar. Um, Like, we don't make a big deal out of tea, but they did, and and they store tea in these beautiful jars. So he, he brings it out, and he sets it down in front of the philosopher, and the philosopher is just looking like he's ignoring the jar. He's ignoring the tea jar, and he's looking out the window, and he, he's contemplating this tree branch that's just moving in the wind. You know, typical philosopher stuff. So he stays, and he just keeps watching the tree branch and, and never pays attention to the jar. So he, he leaves, and then the host is so frustrated because he bought this nice jar, and then the guy completely ignored it, that he picks up the jar, and he smashes it on the floor. Well, the other people who were, who, who were present, they, they picked up all of the pieces, and they repaired it using kintsugi. They got some gold, and they repaired the jar, and they put it back together. And then a few weeks later, when the philosopher came back, he walked in, and, and he saw the jar, and he says, Now, it is beautiful. That's what Jesus wants to do with us. That's what Jesus wants to do with you and and me. And I hope he does it with this microphone too. (laughs) He wants to restore our hearts that have been affected by sin, missing the mark, rebellion, brokenness. He wants to repair and restore and then say, now they're beautiful. Now, for for those of us who who don't know what it means to follow Jesus and, and give your life to him, like Michael, Keith, or I, we'd love to talk to you about that. Like, 
You don't have to live with the shame, the guilt, the, the brokenness of your past, present, or future sins. Jesus has grace for you, and he's offering that to you for free. And for those of us who, who, who do know Jesus, like we get to walk in that grace. We get to walk with that as a foundation for our life, that Jesus has repaired us, he's restored us, and, and, and it's not just a one-time thing. He's continually doing that every day. It's kind of like he's doing a little more kintsugi every day. He's doing it with our heart, our soul. He's doing the things we can't. He's doing that work, and he's saying, now, now they're beautiful. Let's pray. God, sin is a weighty message. It is weighty to think about how sin has affected us. It is weighty to think about how we miss the mark, how we rebel against your goodness and your grace. It is weighty to think about how we have been broken by the sinful actions of other people. But as we look at Psalm 51 and as we consider how to come to you and ask you to cleanse us, to restore, to create in us a heart that only you can create, to do the work that we can't do for ourselves, God, our, our, our response is just pure worship. And God, we, we might even be wrestling with that, with that this morning. So, so God, I, I pray for us here in this room, God, that, that, that where, there is, where there is resistance against this message, that you will work in our hearts, that you will help us to accept with humility the work that you need to do in our hearts. And God, for those of us who need to hear you say, now they are beautiful. And then God, I pray that we would be able to hear that this morning. I pray that you would remove the obstacles in our hearts and our minds that keep us from hearing that message. Because David knew he needed to hear that message. And ultimately, God, we need to hear that message. Help us to hear that so that we might make much of you in our worship, that we might make much of you. In Jesus' name, amen.